Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining me here live uh, this Thursday evening here on Golf Talk Live. I appreciate uh, you tuning into the broadcast. Um, just a couple of, of quick uh, notes of, of interest. Um, we're obviously going to be starting off here in just a moment or two, and, and I'll get to that in a second, with uh, Coach's Corner. Uh, but unfortunately, regrettably, and she sends her apologies, but um, my uh, special guest who is going to be joining uh, me on the second half, unfortunately, is – uh, sort of hunkering down, if you will. She's uh, from the uh, Myrtle Beach, uh, South Carolina area, and of course, currently right now, they are uh, literally being pelted by Hurricane Dorian, so uh, she's there with her family and, and obviously uh, taking the necessary precautions uh, for safety and so forth. So um, she sends her apologies, but uh, obviously very understandable, and I will do my best to uh, reschedule her as quickly as possible. So Meredith Kirk will not be uh, on tonight's show, uh, regrettably, but uh, I've got two Fantastic professionals uh, going to be heading up here on Coach's Corner in just a minute. I'm going to introduce them in just a second. Um, but let me just uh, remind everybody, of course, uh, the Coach's Corner panel is sponsored by GolfSwing.com uh, for the whole entire season. I'm very excited to have them on board and to tell you a little bit about them, and then I'll introduce the panel tonight. Uh, GolfSwing.com, with its cutting-edge technology, have teamed up alongside uh, some of the best golf instructors, coaches, and swing gurus in the business, if you will. Uh, together, they have created one of the best video teaching and online training platforms in golf. So if you're ready to break 100, 90, 80, or even 70, then join their online video academy and learn from some of the best. Enter promo code GOLFTALKLIVE at the checkout and save 50% off subscription price. Uh, again, go to GolfSwing.com after the show and enter promo code GOLFTALKLIVE and you'll get 50% savings off their regular subscription price. So uh, thanks again to the folks at GolfSwing.com for uh, sponsoring the Coach's Corner panel. I appreciate uh, all of their uh, input and uh, uh, support of the, uh, the program. All right, as I mentioned, i got two fantastic professionals uh, going to be joining me on Coach's Corner this morning, or sorry, this evening. Uh, first up is uh, Jamie Leno-Zimron. Of course, she's been on many, many times. She's a speaker, instructor, and body worker uh, and consultant. She's an Aikido six-degree black belt and a Class A LBJ teaching professional. She's also a corporate and conference speaker, uh, executive trainer and coach, and speaker for Vistage International and TEC Canada, which is the executive committee. Uh, also joining us is uh, Dr. Allison Kurt. Uh, she's a PGA and LPGA master professional and one of two women ever to achieve the highest PGA and LPGA designations uh, earned by an instructor. Uh, she also has over 30 years of golf competition background and has played in several LPGA Tour majors. Uh, owner of Allison Kurt Golf in the Los Angeles, California area, and she was also the 2018 SEPGA Club Fitter of the Year and four-time LPGA Western Section Teacher of the Year and the 2016 SCPGA Teacher of the Year, just to name a few. Uh, she's also a clinical sports uh, psychotherapist, 
uh, utilizing um, EMDR to help athletes achieve peak performance and overcome athletic traumas. And she also serves as the LPGA uh, Teaching and Club Professionals National Vice President. So, uh, Jamie and uh, Allison, welcome to Coach's Corner here on Golf Talk Live. Thank you, Ted. Happy to be here as always. Thanks, Ted. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Boy, you guys got a lot to, to get out there in, uh, in just a short time. You guys have so many accolades. It's, uh, it's uh, incredible, um, but well-deserved each and every one of them. All right, so as I mentioned to you just before we come on air, you asked uh, kind of what we're going to talk about tonight in the Coach's Corner panel, and we're going to sort of go around, uh, if you will, uh, a few different areas uh, about junior golf in general, um, and, and specifically, I guess, individuals that are um, that we're going to identify as players, if you will, that are more interested in the playing side of golf. And uh, Alice, I'm going to start with you, if that's okay, uh, just to, to sort of mix things up, and then Jamie, I'll, I'll bring you in as well. Um, when you're, and you can use any scenario you want. You know, maybe you're out working uh, on the practice tee one day with with another student, and you happen to notice a little further down the range, uh, maybe a young player who's maybe showing some some promise. Um, not necessarily somebody that you're obviously working with at, at present, but what are some of the identifying signs, if you will, that you look for um, in somebody that you feel uh, could potentially be a good player? Someone that could make it at the college level and beyond has a different type of practice mentality than most uh, junior golfers, and I think it's really easy to differentiate that when you see a couple of players on the range, you see them pacing their shots a little bit better, um, going through motions that they're trying to fine tune. They might do a lot of repetitions of the motion before they strike a golf ball. They're backing away from the shot, going through pre-shot routines, selecting different targets. There's definitely a plan when they're practicing. And I think that's extremely different than many of the amateur golfers that I see, but also the juniors that I see where they've got a pyramid of balls in front of them and they just go at it maybe as fast as they can or with the, the club that they have the most fun with. And while that's okay to, to have fun, it's a different level of intensity when a player is trying to earn a college scholarship or play at the next level. And I think that the discipline and the intensity that goes into practice, you can feel that energy, you can notice that energy. Um, the second thing that I really noticed, too, is the distractibility. So a lot of the juniors um, oftentimes have a phone in their hand or they're listening to music in their earbuds, and they might be on social media or texting with people in between shots. The players that I have noticed that have really transferred to the next level, and there have been quite a few professionals that have come out of the club that I teach from at Wood Ranch, such as Danielle Kang and Charlie Wee has played from there. They're not on their devices while they're practicing. Um, they're very intentional. Uh, they're very focused on what they're doing, and they're not on Instagram or Snapchatting in between shots. And so th those are <laughs> right. the things that I notice um, when there's a different level of a player uh, that really differentiates themselves when you practice. Yeah, those are some great points, and, and well said, by the way. Um, Jamie, what about yourself? I mean, a lot of times, you know, we're, we're out there, we're, we're doing our thing, and we just happen to maybe out of the corner of our eye or, you know, in a moment between a, a session with, with another student, um, you know, somebody catches our eye. It's, a, you know, a junior player, and again, whatever age, you can, you can plug something in. Um, that, that shows some telltale signs of, of, you know, maybe this person has – 
you know, got some some oomph, if you will, in their game. What are some things that you look for? Um, obviously, I'm sure a lot of the same things that, that Allison has mentioned, but maybe some other things that, that you see as well. Yeah, well, I think Allison's given, you know, really good um, good sense, especially for slightly older kids. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of sort of identifying uh, kids, you know, when they're really young and some of our younger ju- uh, junior programs, um, I think that, first of all, there's a sense of uh, kind of a natural coordination and of, you know, just really being able to swing the club uh, an eye for form, that they're able to either mm-hmm. – absorb instruction or watch others um you know they've watched good players they watch on tv they just kind of you know just swing the club <laughs> you know it's just an amazing thing to see these really little bodies um with with amazing mm. swings on them um so i think that's that's some of it um so you know kind of an athleticism a coordination um <clears throat> i think there's a real joy a real love uh, of the game of, of golfing of swinging of hitting of um of orienting towards targets and accomplishing what they're, um, you know, trying to do, which would be to hit the shot here or chip to this, to this, um, to this flag on a chipping green or to a a further hole, that sort of thing. Um, Really making up games. I love seeing kids who are practicing together and, and they're making games up. Um, So maybe they're making a little chipping and putting course and you see a sort of competitiveness, um, in a sense, just that desire to really excel, um, to win, you know, maybe to beat the other guy, or the other, the other gal. But you know, these are some of those sort of self-motivating factors that you that right. I think are quite noticeable. And um, and though I think it's that sense of self-motivation and um, <clears throat> and you know, wanting, really loving to put in the time um, of practicing. It's not a chore. It's something that they really enjoy. So those are some things that I notice in kids and and younger kids that that I say to myself, hmm, these are the kids to really uh, that can really be going somewhere and who want to go somewhere, and who who will be yeah, some uh, great... sort of especially fun to especially fun to work with in terms of <clears throat> preparing for uh, high school, college, and maybe uh, beyond competition level. Right. Well said as well, Jamie. And, and you know, what I really heard from both of you is, is a couple of key areas. And, and first and foremost, there, there's a, a, a difference in focus with a lot of the junior golfers, a, again, regardless of what level. When somebody sort of has, and I hate to use the word gift, but, but obviously there are some that are a little bit more gifted than others um, naturally. And then obviously some have maybe worked with somebody or uh, had some good uh, uh, early instruction. Um, so there's a there's a definite difference in their focus. Um, you know, as uh, Allison, as you pointed out, they're not, you know, they're not playing around on social media or, or tweeting or, or doing whatever uh, most people in that age group are, are doing. Um, they're focusing on the ta- task at hand. And then the other thing too that you both mentioned was really uh, the motivation factor. Is they're very very motivated in what they do, um, and they're they're there for um, a specific purpose. And they're practicing uh, towards whatever goals that they may set where, you know, a lot of other kids just go out there and they're kind of do what we typically see is they kind of rake and hit balls. And, you know, maybe they're playing on their devices, as you both suggest, and they're not really um, don't really seem to have a game plan. So there's obviously a definite identifying sign, if you will, of some of our better players. Um, Jamie, I'm going to come back to you and we're going to sort of reverse the order here. 
so now we've identified um, an individual, again, whatever age level you want to plug in, um, that obviously shows those signs. How do we engage as, as coaches or instructors um, without obviously see, being a little bit you know, too overzealous? How do we engage one first with the, with the junior and also the parents? When we identify that there may be a potential, uh, doesn't necessarily have to be a tour player, but somebody that shows uh, some strong intention uh, of being a good player, how do we approach them and say, you know what, with a little more work, um, there's some great opportunities ahead uh, for he or she, uh, whatever the case may be. What, what are sort of the, the, the initial uh, engagement do you think is, is appropriate? And should the parents be approached first before the junior? Well, I mean, I think in the real world, the way it works is that when some, you know, when a, a kid or a young person, a junior golfer has uh, has an ability, has potential, is is those signs are already there. They tend to um, it, they tend to come for instruction, and the parents tend to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's obvious, right? It's noticeable. So, right. Um, I mean, my experience has been that. Uh, you know, they're already involved. Uh, maybe they've already had some instruction or, you know, they're just out there and go, uh, they've been to a junior camp or junior program. And it's like, oh, you know, uh, there's a there's a special affinity and a special talent here for the game or special interest in the game. And so, um, you know, it's, it's not that hard for them to be coming and asking for instruction. or And, and I think it's so important mm-hmm. to develop the relationship. Um, you know, the... It, what's so interesting in golf to me actually is the intensity of relationship, whether it's an instructor and student, uh, caddy and player. <laughs> These are really intense relationships. And, you know, they're kind of uh, a lot of one-to-one coaching um, because, you know, it's not necessarily the golf team. And even um, by the time you get to teams, which would be more in high school and college, um, there's still a lot of one-to-one right. with the individual player um, <laughs> in terms of individual improvement. So. Um, you know, I think that it's a lot about developing that relationship, developing a kind of communication, understanding uh, the young person, um, you know, what they really love about the game, what are some of their goals, uh, what are their strengths, um, how do they like to practice, how do they learn. And these are things we pay attention to with everyone, um, you know, what's their learning style and uh, what really motivates them, um, how can you develop um, you know, a kind of trust, a kind of discipline, um, a goal setting, all these kinds of things. So I think it's about developing that relationship and that, uh, you know, the, the aptitude or the talent, or the interest uh, comes a lot from, from the kid, um, sometimes from the parents. And when it comes more from the parents than from the, the junior golf themselves, that, I think, is an issue, <laughs> you know, and it really right. needs to be addressed because, you know, is this the parent's agenda or is this the kid's agenda? Um, and it's also been interesting. Right. I've had uh, some interesting experiences with kids who um, are playing other sports and maybe baseball or soccer or whatever, and they're also playing golf, and they have some aptitude for all, of, you know, all the sports they're doing. And, uh, you know, what makes it so that they may decide to choose golf? And that that comes from them, and and when that comes from them, then a more intensive uh, program of developing their golf abilities, and you know, getting them into junior junior play, junior competitions, all those things start to um, sort of evolve from there. I would say. Right. Well said, um, Allison. You know, we we've got a, a situation where 
you know, we've identified, um, you know, a potential player, uh, somebody that has a, a certain skill set. Um, as Jamie put out uh, here just a moment ago, it talked about, you know, a lot of cases, the, the either the parent or the student themselves uh, or, or junior themselves will uh, either already maybe be involved in lessons uh, of some sort or coaching program, or they will usually tend to initial, uh, initiate it. Um, so once we've identified that, and let's say, you know, we're going to put you in that position now where you're, you're becoming the coach. I want you to define, and there's a reason, and, and I don't want you to jump ahead because Jamie sort of uh, let the cat out of the bag, if you will, about one issue that I want to address. I think it's important. Um, but what is the, 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 the student and parent and coach's roles? Um, I would really like you to sort of define that, and then there's a reason uh, when we follow up with the next question uh, why I want to point that out. So what do you feel is the student's role or the, or the junior's role, uh, obviously the coach's role, and, and how do the plant, uh, parents sort of fit into that? Uh, dynamic. So I think the student's role is always going to be sort of um, moving down this pathway. I don't think it's like clearly defined. I think it's constantly evolving because as the student becomes a better player and doors open and new opportunities come up, um, there's always constant evolution. But I consider them the worker. So they are the one that is doing the work, doing the drills, doing the training, uh, the mental work in order to put themselves in the best place possible to reach their goals, if that's a college scholarship or to play at the next level and beyond. Um, I also think that besides being the worker, that they are really responsible for providing feedback to the coach and to the parents, how things are working for them, what struggles they might have, um, what's their motivation level, what's their energy level. They have to be communicative enough to be able to provide feedback to the team around them to help them reach mm -hmm. their goals. So, so I consider that kind of that worker role. The coach, right. I consider them more of like the planner. So the coach is kind of that, um, that doctor, if you will, in a way that is looking at problems and coming up with solutions <laughs> but then also planning how the relationship can best be successful. So if I have a player that I know is maybe looking at a two- to three-year plan before they're moving on to the next level, then my job as the coach is really to figure out what are we going to be doing within that time period to best benefit uh, the worker, best benefit the player, and what sort of other facets need to be tied in, whether that's fitness and nutrition and mental game. Um, or is there skill acquisition and development that still needs to be fine-tuned in order for that player to, to reach their goals? I also think the coach serves as um, a little bit, besides that planner role, kind of as a mediator in a way mm -hmm. where they're kind of in the middle between parents and, and the junior, delivering the message maybe in a way that a parent will understand. So, also delivering messages to the junior in a way that they would understand. So let's say there's right. a hot topic that equipment needs to be covered and maybe there needs to be an investment in equipment. Well, maybe the junior golfer doesn't deliver that message to their parent in the best way possible. And the coach can help mediate <laughs> and explain here are right. some of the reasons why equipment is important. And I think that um, I oftentimes do that a lot in the coach role where there is some mediation and explaining things in a different way so that the parent can jump on board with the process. 
And then finally, I look at the, um, the parent as, as being a cheerleader. And if there's a good relationship between that trifecta, I think that it works very harmoniously. Um, oftentimes, it can be difficult um, with parents just delivering the message and um, seeing what their wants are and comparing it to the junior golfer's wants and comparing it to my wants. But I really like to see parents serve as, as a cheerleader. So to support their junior in the goals that they are trying to achieve, to encourage and motivate them, to help gently nudge them back on track when they notice them getting off track, um, and to really cheerlead their successes and to help them feel and build confidence in this very vulnerable period in their life. The more confidence that um, a teen and an adolescent can build now, I think it really sets them up for a productive and bright future. And the parent is a big part of that. Yeah, huge. I, I would agree with that. And, and you know, the, the thing is that it, it boils down to this, uh, and, and you really said it here, is, is the communication between both groups, you know, the juniors and the parents. Uh, obviously, they're going to be at different levels, and there's going to be different things and different dialogue, if you will, that you're going to communicate to each of them. Obviously, it's got to, um, you know, uh, achieve the same result, um, but it may be laid out. And, you know, the, the just the part about the equipment uh, is, is spot on. A lot of times, you know, as you said, there may be adjustments in equipment needed. Um, obviously, in many cases, I would assume in most cases, the parents are, are going to be very involved in that aspect of it. And they need a clear understanding as to why and, and, and so on and so forth. And uh, it can be very, I'm sure, very intimidating too sometimes for students to say, hey, you know, by the way, I need a new this or this has to be tweaked and whatnot. And, and obviously it's involving expense So in, in many cases. Um, Jamie, this brings me to um, the sort of the, the cat out of the bag, if you will. And, and I want to focus on the parents um, aspect of it. Um, you know, handling parents who um, put sort of undue pressure uh, or, uh, you know, unrealistic demands on their child uh, can really play havoc for a junior golfer. Um, you know, as, as uh, Allison just mentioned, you know, really the parental role is to be more of a cheerleader and, and, and supporting and, and doing that sort of thing. But quite often what we see in the junior programs is you know, parents that do the opposite. Um, certainly when things are going well, they can be very uh, supportive, but when things aren't going well, which is obviously going to happen for all golfers, uh, they can be really hard and that can be difficult. So, you know, we've got a situation now here, let's say where, where a parent is a little bit overzealous, if you will. How do we handle that? Because we don't want to, you know, create a further rift, but at the same time, um, do we need to put boundaries? And, and if so, what might they, some of them be? Well, these are questions that coaches are all grappling with, I would say, um, and they've only intensified as the pressure on younger players uh, in all sports, actually, and even in you know dance competitions, art competitions, science competitions, you know, um, right. there's just so <laughs> such tremendous. Seriously, there's tremendous pressure yeah, on kids these days. It's not unique. Yeah, it's um, not unique to golf. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, it's not. I mean, I actually remember seeing a TV show not too long ago about ten-year-olds who show ten-year-old boys who show aptitude in football. They're already going to pre-NFL uh, summer camp yeah. with pressure, like to you know, they're they're like skipping all the way to the NFL as ten-year-olds, you know, in football. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, you know, we have this issue, um, uh, yeah, again, generally speaking. Um, in golf, it's, uh, it's definitely an issue because, again, you know, we have such a um, sort of individual sport, shall we say. And um, so, and it's also a very psychologically demanding um, golf because if you say, you know, you screw up, you, you were – uh, doing well, and all of a sudden you fell apart, or you hit some bad shots, or um, you know maybe you were about to win and you lost. You know all of these kind of traumatic uh, psychological experiences. Right. Um, <clears throat> they can be difficult to handle just within yourself as an individual. I mean, hard enough as adults, certainly difficult as kids. Um, and then when you've got pressures from parents who may be giving messages that aren't helpful, messages that don't build confidence, messages that. Um, you know, can really undermine, uh, you know, the, the kids' just ability to be in a learning process. You know, we all learn, and we learn by trial, we learn by error, error we learn as we win, we learn as we, as we lose. That we, there's a lot of lessons in, um, in defeat or not doing as well as we would have liked. And, you know, these are the kinds of messages that we need to, I think, be coaching our kids in and simultaneously coaching our, uh, you know, their parents in. Uh, we do focus a lot on the overbearing parents, and I think that we need to be aware of different kinds of parents because they mm-hmm. all exist, right? And so there's the overbearing right. parent. There's also these, um, we could call them underbearing parents or absent parents. Sometimes right. um, parents, you know, parents aren't even there. They're too busy. They don't necessarily care. They can't necessarily afford it. Um, and uh, so they may not be as present uh, or present at all. Um, sometimes we have abusive parents and we don't even know about that or, or we do see it. We can see emotionally abusive parents and though that's really yep. difficult to deal with. And that's uh, the place where I think the coach has a real role in mediation and needs to, uh, you know, as a mediator needs to step in at times and needs to really speak up, needs to set some boundaries, needs to do education. I mean, the coach is an educator and the education uh, goes on for the player, the young player as well, often uh, for for the parents. And now that can be really touchy because parents will say, well, Hey, you know, you're, you're overstepping your bounds. This is my child. Right. Right. And so this isn't for you to say. And, and so, you know, these are really touchy situations. And I think that, you know, they can lead to conflict or they can lead to um, a really positive growing environment where everyone's in a process of learning, which is actually the truth. You know, (laughs) everyone is in a learning process. Uh, Um, and, you know, it's interesting, like, you see someone like, um, there have been some tour players, um, I think Jason Day, you know, some come to mind, where their coach has actually been almost uh, uh, also a stand-in parent, just because the parent wasn't uh, present for whatever reason. Um, so, you know, you've got a lot of different scenarios. And so I think that as a coach, it's very important to find out what is your, uh, your junior player's home situation. Um, and how is that affecting them? And you, you may see some of it, depending on how present or not the parents are. Um, and regardless, I think that it's very important to be very sensitive to these issues. Um, so it's not um, it, it's not a straightforward process, and it can be very very sensitive, very very tricky at times um, to manage. Uh, to manage, I mean, just learning to play well, right? Um, but to manage right. all of the psychological uh, dimensions and the relationship dynamics that are involved. Yeah, and and that, um, well said, by the way. You know, that brings up a, a really 
myriad of, of things, and I mean, you could really discuss it for, for days with some of the issues and some of the different scenarios. And, and Allison, you know, you deal with, um, you know, as I mentioned in the opening uh, credits, if you will, that, you know, you deal with athletic traumas and things like that. But sometimes the mental trauma can be even worse than the physical trauma. I mean, obviously, a wrist injury can uh, create a whole uh, scenario of, of problems uh, with their golf game and or, um, you know, hip flexors or whatever the case may be. But even some mental trauma, you know, dealing with, with parents that are just pushing, pushing, pushing. Um, and, you know, we know they, they mean well in most cases. Um, but there's also another area, too, that sometimes parents can do more harm uh, than good. And that is, you know, as you pointed out earlier, you know, part of the coach's responsibility is to plan, uh, to sort of help plan for that success. And there are situations where you've come up with a game plan, you're now trying to implement it with the student or the junior, and the parents are sort of unraveling that plan. Well, no, you don't want to do that, and you should be doing this. That's another area, and that can be a touchy area as well. Talk a little bit about that. That's definitely a touchy area, and I've certainly experienced that over the course of my career, and it's I can't explain how frustrating it is when you have a really, really solid kid who's doing all the right things and then an extremely difficult parent who it's, it's just hard to get the message through. Um, and I, I definitely think that my psychology background helps me now deal with it better than I, I did 14 years ago, let's say, um, in right. just kind of understanding where the parent is coming from and really hearing them and, and trying to just deliver the message in the way that is the most understandable. And, and I have to tell you, there's been some times where it's just a mute point. Like you just can't get through to these parents and sadly it's, it's a lost right. cause and you just ha- kind of have to move on. And um, I think at, at times coaches have to make a tough decision to say, is this going to be someone that I can continue to work with and can I bring them to meet their goals or um, is there maybe someone that's better better able to handle the parent. Um, I think that's always a tough call. Um, But for me personally, with some of the parents that I've worked with where I'm really trying to just get one cook in the kitchen, if you will, um, it's it's (laughs) difficult when a a parent comes in and they're like, I have a putting coach for my kid and you're going to be the swing coach or you're going to be the mental coach. And then ultimately the parent ends up coaching in all of those factors. Um, It's really drawing some very clear boundaries and, and having the gall to say, hey, if this is my role, here's what I need from you to help me be successful. Um, if, we're, yep. if I'm going to be the swing coach, then I, I'm going to share with you the things that we do in the lesson, and then I want mm-hmm. you to help me observe those, document those, not change it mm-hmm. and not do anything different. And so kind of including them in the process has been successful for me. It's been a tactic that I feel like um, has worked because ultimately these parents just want to help. They want to give their kid the best opportunity to be successful and to push them away or to exclude them out of the process makes things worse. So I try to give them tasks and directives that are harm-free, but also makes them feel like they are a part of the process. Um, That's been a, a good strategy for me, but um, like I said, sometimes it's, there's some lost causes out there, which is really sad, and 
And other times you can really grab a parent's ear and you can change their paradigm about how this whole process could work better. And I think those yep. are the, the parents that are flexible and understanding that if they're going to hire experts to be involved in their child's development, then let them, let them work, let them do what they know best. Yeah, and, and you know, sometimes too, uh, I mean, and we have to be honest when we assess ourselves uh, as coaches and, and uh, teaching professionals, you know, we're not always going to click or mesh with every student out there. I mean, you know, if you paraded 100 students in front of you um, and were given the opportunity to work with them, there is going to be a percentage, and it could vary from, from you know, individual, but there is going to be a percentage that are just not going to mesh or jive uh, with any one of us. Um, and so, you know, having that clear communication first and foremost with a student is crucial. There has to be that, that connection. Um, but equally, there also has to be that connection with the parent as well. And, and as you both have pointed out, you know, there has to be boundaries put up. There has to be a clear communication as to what the agendas are, uh, what the goals, uh, both short and long-term goals are going to be. And then a game plan has to be formulated and, and all parties have to be included. The student has to, or the junior has to be included. Obviously the parents have to be included in it, and of course the coaches have to be included in it. Um, but once that has been uh, decided and, and agreed upon and all parties are, are, are a go, then I think the parent, as, as you pointed out, um, Allison, have to sort of step back and say, okay, I'm going to be the cheerleader now and I'm going to let Allison or I'm going to let Jamie or Ted or whoever um, sort of take the helm here, and I will step in as needed uh, or instructed, uh, you know, by the coach. But other than that, I'm going to sort of back off and let them uh, take the reins. And then if for some reason, if it doesn't work out, you know, then at least you've given it your best shot and all parties have sort of come in uh, in agreement. And it can be very difficult. Um, Jamie, I want to move on to, you know, we've, we've sort of nipped the, the butt a little bit here with um, some of our college uh, players, if you will, but there's obviously differences. There's, you know, D1, 2, and 3 and beyond uh, colleges out there and, and other options perhaps. Um, what can we do specifically to help prepare students? Um, maybe they've got their, their eyes set on a D1 uh, college, uh, but, you know, they don't have the, the must, uh, the, the will and the drive, if you will, to, to get that. So it might have to be a D2. You know, What's the process there? How do we help them engage with that? And how do we help them prepare to give them their best shot at whatever the case may be? Well, I think that, uh, well, first of all, um, I think it's important for people to know out there that there, if, at least for girls, uh, girl golfers, that there are actually more scholarships available out there than are even being utilized. <laughs> so that's um, right. a very exciting and factor and you know regardless of what division it is that, that, that those options are out there um, that scholarships are there to be had is motivating uh, and you know we have a lot of girls in our expanding LPGA girls golf program and you know it's uh, it's really exciting for them to know that um, I think it's really important to assess um, a number of factors one is obviously ability level um, some, uh, geographics, you know, are, are, is, is somebody willing to be far away from home? Do they want to be closer to home? There's economics, you know, um, uh, what can they afford? What can their families afford? So, um, and what are, 
larger goals? Are they looking to play on a mini tour or potentially tour? Are they looking to, um, you know, have great golf skills, have great experience in college, and they have their career sites on, on something else that's not golf, and yet knowing that their golf skills are going to serve them well in the business world or uh, whatever their careers may, may be. So I think, you know, it's important to flush these things out. And, um, you know, there's options as well. A player may start out at, uh, you know, in a certain division for the first two years and be able to transfer to another school, move to another division. These things happen as well. So um, I just think it's important to, um, you know, be – know what your dreams and goals are and then relate those to some of these sort of realistic kinds of factors um, or logistical kind of factors. And then, you know, work with the player and their parents as far as all of that goes. Um, I wanted to mention something else is kind of weaves in here and with some of our conversation. And that is Mm -hmm. that, uh, as you know, I'm a martial artist and, um, Mm -hmm. and, have developed um, a whole kind of approach to golf instruction, and so I'm sort of known as the golf sensei. And sensei is the word for an instructor in the martial arts or a master teacher um, in, in Japanese. And it's really been interesting to me to see how much kids, junior golfers especially, respond to that sort of martial arts aspect of things. And mm-hmm. um, what I mean is, and that it's very helpful in also working with parents because the martial arts gives a framework for respect, for sort of bowing in, for knowing roles and respect, and <laughs> also knowing that, you know, this is a mental game as well. This is a game of how do you comport yourself, how do you conduct yourself, how do you build strength and confidence uh, physically as well as mentally and emotionally, and that these are these sort of meta skills along with the actual skills of golf and equipment of golf and, you know, the, the things that we usually think of in terms of golf training. So, um, and I've had some really um, powerful experiences with younger players in introducing that dimension. And it is a, it provides a great kind of language and communication path uh, with the parents and between the parents and the kids. And it also is very empowering for the players. Um, So, you know, and then with kids who are, you know, in high school and uh, looking towards college, building that kind of centeredness, that, that sense of uh, mental fortitude, that sense of self-control and self-management, that sense of focus and discipline and being able to convey that through the, uh, the form, the structure, the framework, the rituals, you know, the whole thing of martial arts, which, uh, uh, you know, lets, lets me play with that has been really very meaningful to both my younger players and their parents. So I just kind of, you know, offer that as well um, in terms of especially emphasizing these these sort of meta skills, shall we say, that are involved with developing right. as a player. Right. Well said, and, um, and thank you for that. Um, Allison, you know, we, we've got, you know, really three, I, I believe, key areas um, for the development of, of a, a good player. And that is obviously the, the mental game, the physical game, and also the emotional game, if you will, for players. Touch on those three areas there. Uh, again, we can use our example, if you will, of a junior player that's maybe, you know, looking towards, um, you know, getting into uh, collegiate. Uh, maybe they're currently in a high school and they're wanting to get into uh, and, and play on a, uh, a college team, they've got to 
have some not only some physical gain, but they've got to have those other areas as well. So talk about those three areas from a coach's perspective, what you would do to help strengthen those areas and help blend them together so that they're going to be there um, giving their best in all three. Well, the most obvious one is the physical game, and I think that that's the majority of what the focus is for a lot of juniors is how to hit the ball better, how to learn different shots. And I do think that majority of the coaches focus strictly on the physical game. So for me personally, when I'm working with a player um, from the physical game, it's really building them a swing that is going to be healthy that lasts them a lifetime. And so I, I consider a healthy swing as one that's not going to create injury if they're beating a bunch of golf balls. And by the time they're in their early twenties, they need to have surgery or they're in pain. So it's creating a swing that's healthy, but also allows them to do what they want with the golf ball. Um, so it needs to be within right. their physical realm, within their um, ability to acquire that skill. And I do think that from that, I branch off into not just uh, acquiring the skill, but then how to perform with the skill and teaching them different approaches besides just beating golf balls. So how to hit different shots in a variety of different settings, different lies, different golf clubs, different targets, and really mixing that up and becoming um, sort of a master of flexibility, being flexible with what shot is facing them and learning how to take all of adversity that comes onto the golf course and physically perform with what they know how. From a mental standpoint, which I feel like is an area that's largely untouched and tough mm -hmm. for a lot of people to work on. A lot of people want to have a better mental game, but then once you see the defenses that they have put up around them, um, it can be tough for people to look at themselves and say, oh, gosh, I need to change that in order to, to get better. I need to change how I think or change how I respond. And, and the mental game, I do think, is undercoached for juniors. For, for me, I wasn't exposed to coaching in the mental game until almost my third year of college. Um, prior to that, it was just whatever book you could get a hand, a hand on. So if I'm going to be working with a kid that's moving on to the next level in college and beyond, um, the mental game would really be solidifying how they handle themselves, whether it's through a pre-shot routine, how they handle adversity, um, how they recoup after bad rounds or bad tournaments, um, the thoughts that they have on the golf course, imagery and visualization, and also the homework that they do at home to prepare for tournaments. So not just what happens on the course, um, but are they going through their yardage book and picturing their shots prior to going out to a tournament? Are they rehearsing their golf swing in their mind to create um, a solid concrete blueprint that they can follow? So um, the mental game from that really is, is very diverse in the areas that I like to address with the juniors. And the device that I prefer to use is focus band. And focus band is a great tool to let players see what state they are in and how they perform. And then they can make the connection um, being that their preferred state enhances their performance. So I use a lot of focus band um, with these kids. And then the third area that you mentioned was the emotional game. And I think that's constantly evolving, particularly for that population, 14 to 18 also. 
we can't expect a teenager yes. to always be in charge of their emotions. And we look at adults and adults aren't always in charge of their emotions either. But right. to begin right. to lay the, um, the groundwork for these juniors to say, when you have emotions that come up, here's some strategies for dealing with them. And I, I share with them that I just think emotions are information. And you can make what you want from that information. So if a shot comes out and you immediately feel anger, well, you can do what you want with that anger. You can choose to use it and disrupt the rest of your game, or you can use it as information to say, I know I'm better than that, and the next shot I can do even better. So let's go ahead and do a corrective repair swing and move on. Um, the, the emotional game, I think, really prepares juniors for just life life that right. they're going to deal with outside of golf. And the more coaching that they can get on the emotional game earlier on, I think they're just going to handle themselves and handle adversity with much more grace and much more ease rather than having a temper or having too much criticism going on um, in their own mind. So that would be my approach. They're all three really big jobs. And a lot of times mm -hmm. coaches might refer out for those um, for those other jobs, the coach might just dive in and say, Hey, I'm, I'm adapt to do the physical. So I'm going to take that on the mental. I'll, I'll right. send to a sports psychologist and maybe the emotional mm -hmm. will work on in a, in a mentor position, or maybe work with a sports psychotherapist. So um, mm -hmm. me personally, I feel like I'm adapt to work with all three. So if a kid's going to work with me for the next couple of years, they're bound to get a little bit of everything. Yeah. Well said. And, and, you know, something, too, I just want to touch on, you know, because you mentioned, you know, you're kind of dealing with that 14 to, to sort of 18-year-old uh, in a lot of cases. You know, something, too, that I think a lot of uh, and people don't really think about, and that is when you start to get into that age group, there is a tremendous change hormonally for a child. Uh, they're still in a developmental stage of their life. Um, obviously, in most cases, they've, they're you know, entering into puberty, things like that. And hormones do play a, a, a lot when it comes to emotions. I mean, we all remember when you know, we were in that age and you know, we had dips and valleys and spikes and, and whatever you want to call it, where you know, our emotions and our feelings uh, could literally change uh, you know, on a dime. So there's a lot of things that have to be, and, and you know, that's, as you pointed out, really, um, you know, in your case, uh, Allison, you know, you are maybe a little better equipped than, than others because, you know, you've studied uh, many of these areas um, that you just mentioned. But, you know, that's something that maybe a lot of coaches may not be uh, prepared for. I mean, the physical part of the game, of course, that's, uh, that's what we do. Um, but when you're dealing with emotions and things like that, it can be very tricky in some cases. So I think you really, uh, I think it's a smart thing what you just said is, um, you know, you might have to job that out and, you know, get a, a psychotherapist in some cases or a sports psychologist involved uh, with that junior to help guide them in those other areas. So I think that's a, a well, uh, a, a great piece of advice that you gave. Um, Jamie, the final question that I'm going to give to you, uh, and, and Allison, you're welcome to, to join in as well is sort of the after college. They've gone through, they've played, uh, again, whether it's D1, 2, or 3, or what have you, um, and they want to set up a game plan as far as what's next. You know, um, maybe thoughts of, of trying to get out on some tour, 
uh, or maybe even teaching? Uh, what are your thoughts there? Well, I think that it's important for, uh, you know, as kids graduate and, you know, going out into, um, you know, starting off in their adult lives or, you know, setting out into their uh, career world, uh, you know, there's a there's a period there where, you know, right after college, um, 22, you know, that's still so young, actually. And um, a lot of the responsibilities aren't necessarily, you know, completely there yet. Um, you don't necessarily have a family and a house and you know, all these things to deal with. So, you know, a lot of uh, times I think that it's important to know, uh, to, to, to give kids, uh, young, young adults really, um, to, to really be talking with them about what their interests are, what are their priorities, what are their real interests and goals in life. And, you know, you have, I think, a certain strand that is interested in playing tour golf, um, and so, you know, there's a whole process for that and, you know, getting out on mini tours, uh, trying to qualify, what's Q school all about, you know, these kinds of things. Um, and some people are, uh, it, it's important, I think, to present and to talk with and explore varying options within the golf industry. And that could be teaching, that could be, um, you know, being, uh, you know, working in, as a GM, uh, all kinds of opportunities with different golf companies and there's travel, there, you know, so many different possibilities within the golf industry itself. Um, and then of course you've got, um, and also, you know, also just within the sports industry, um, somebody might be interested actually in, for example, sports medicine and uh, working mm -hmm. on that level. So, you know, it's kind of like being a, you know, in a sense, a guidance counselor <laughs> as far as, right. um, but, but, you know, it's still not traditional these days because there's so many uh, options and possibilities and um, that aren't limited by <clears throat> gender the way that things used to be. Um, and then I mm -hmm. think it's important for, uh, you know, to realize that golf in and of itself is a great skill to have in whatever career, business, profession that anybody goes into. And, um, you know, it was interesting. I was at a Stanford alumni event. This was maybe about two years ago. And there were players who, you know, there were ones of us who played at Stanford over, I think, four decades. And so, you know, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and, uh, you know, in the 2000s, and at whatever age and in whatever profession, everybody agreed that having their uh, golf abilities, having a great golf swing, knowing the game, being able to get out there and mm -hmm. play uh, as well and often uh, better than their bosses and then the men involved in the industry, if it's uh, <laughs> this is with the women, that this is just a, it, this is a tremendous uh, advantage that you have already from what you've done so far as a junior golfer and then as a, you know, as a, a college player. So, you know, I just think that it's, it's really great to be aware of the, the confidence, the life skills, the my mental and emotional self-management uh, that, that you've gained through your junior golf career and how that can serve you uh, depending on what your goals are. So, you know, I just think it's obviously it's a really individual matter, but there's sure. so much potential out there and that golf has been a, a great training grounds as a young person uh, from a younger kid and up through young adulthood. It's just been a tremendous training grounds, and there are some who may go on to tour. That would be tremendous. And then, but there's so many other uh, ways that golf actually serves um, a young person. 
Yeah, and and you know something interesting you you mentioned, particularly, and obviously for for any uh, golfer, but uh, particularly for women, you know, because it, it in some ways it's still for a lot of women it's still fairly new to them. Um, even though we've had some great uh, representation over the decades with the LPJ and that, but for some of our, our working women out there that are, you know, maybe in an environment where a lot of the the men that are in the company go out and play golf, whether it be recreational or through uh, business connections, and I, it's amazing how many I've spoken to over the last, you know, decade or so, that said, you know what, I, I kind of felt out of place. You know, the, the guys were kind of talking around the, the you know, the typical. Uh, coffee machine and uh, you know they were talking about their weekend golf and I kind of felt left out because I didn't know enough about it and interesting enough you know many of them now that have gotten into it understand what it is that golf can do the doors that it can open up as you suggest Uh, it's not just always you know I think a lot of people and this is a misconception I think that you know when they see golf on TV of course we're seeing the best of the best all the time so people can't really identify with that you know they're not going to be the next Tiger Woods or they're not going to be you know Annika Sorensen or or some of the young uh, guns coming up now Um, but golf can have a role in their life in so many different ways so I think the message that I would really like to see the golf industry put out there is not just about tour life but golf in general what the, the doors that it can open up for you both business and even personal and social I mean some of the great social uh, you know, environments and opportunities that it can create as well. So I think there's there's room for a lot of things. And Jamie, you really uh, touched on a few of them right there. Um, Allison, well, can, is there anything that? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, just real briefly, and I want to get to Allison. Um, I, I remember this uh, particular Stanford event. We had Condoleezza Rice, who's a professor now at Stanford, uh, come and talk with us for right. about an hour. And you know, Condoleezza Rice is not a great golfer, and I don't even think she started golfing as a kid. But she absolutely loves no. the game, and she's been working on her game. Right? Look at the doors that mm-hmm. it has opened for her. Um, I think she became yep. the first or one of the very first women who was, uh, you know, became a member at Augusta. So you know, yes, she it's was. not necessarily necessarily always about being uh, the best player, but the opportunities are just tremendous. Yep. And golf, I can't overemphasize enough the tremendous training grounds that golf is, and sports in general, but and golf in particular, as we're moving towards yeah. adulthood, as young people are moving towards adulthood. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and Allison, just to sort of piggyback on that a little bit, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we want to encourage in whatever direction they, they want when, when somebody's coming out of college and they've had that opportunity to, you know, whether it be through a scholarship or, or what have you, they've played with, the, uh, you know, their teammates on their college team. They're very excited about that. Um, I'm sure you've had some opportunities over the years to, to work with individuals like that that have decided, okay, what now? Maybe they've got aspirations of getting out on one of the tours in some fashion um, or maybe not. Um, just walk us through that a little bit, maybe some of the examples that you've come across and, and what you try to do to help guide them one way or the other. Well, most of the students that go through college that I've worked with, um, college is sort of that end point in their golf career. I've had a few, I had a few stars that after college um, continued to pursue Symmetra Tour, Cactus Tour, um, and and one has actually received her card on the LPGA, so she's going on her rookie year right now. And I think that golfers have to look at this as being like a very small percentage. I think the stats for mm-hmm. someone to get a collegiate scholarship, it's like the top 5%, if you will, of all 
students across the, across the country. And then from students who have scholarships that are playing collegiately, who then move on to professional sports, it's like the top 1%. So it's a very, very small right. percentage. And for the people who have invested all of their life and their collegiate career to playing golf and, and know that professional golf is not going to be the next step for them, it can sort of be this grieving process of like, what do I do now? Like I've, I've spent right. so much time, I've worked so hard and now golf is over. And many of them find solace in joining the PGA or the LPGA and continuing to have a career in golf. And many of them end up going along their, their degree studies and just including golf as uh, part of their weekend hobby or becoming a club member starting a family and then kind of having the younger generation take up golf. Um, it, golf still stays, I think, with us. It never goes away. And even a player right. who maybe goes to Division Three and had a great time and is going to be a, uh, a personal trainer ends up somehow including golf in their world for fun, for fitness, for mm-hmm. socialization. Um, so I, I support that. And um, it's certainly – I think sad to see the end of a training relationship. So a kid who you've coached all the way through college and now it's just, they're doing it for fun and there's no real um, motivation to have lessons and training. I think that's sad, but it's very rewarding to see these individuals turn into young adults and, and to do something um, really cool with their lives for that very small percentage that ends up going to um, play on the next level and play professionally the coaching relationship continues and I think it gets a little bit more in depth just because there's so many more nuances that have to be managed um, when you're trying to play at the professional level. Um, I've had a couple of experiences like that in my career, which is really fun to see, see players really strive to try to make it. Um, And it's, uh, it's fun to coach them. Yeah. And, and and well said, And, and, you know, Ladies, the, the thing is that no matter what path the individual takes, it's, it's fun to be a part of it. It's certainly great to um, help mold, if you will, that individual in a direction um, that is obviously, regardless of whether they are the next best thing out on tour or not, um, that they've developed uh, uh, the skill in a game that can really benefit them in so many different ways and become a part of their life. And I, I really have yet to, to meet anybody who, uh, again, regardless of what path they've taken, that uh, certainly has had their share of frustration, as we all do with this game, because it can be frustrating at times, but it can also uh, be equally rewarding in, in many other ways. So uh, it is a, a difficult game at times. Um, it's not always easy to, to learn, and, and, uh, and sometimes it can be challenging to even make changes. Um, but I think if you stick with it overall, I think it can be a lot of fun. And uh, at the very least, you can have a, a few laughs along the way at yourself and, and with your with your friends and your partners and, and so forth. But um, ladies, I want to thank both of you very much for, for bringing a, a great discussion to the Coach's Corner panel tonight. I think you uh, uh, really hit it, hit it home, hit uh, right down the center of the fairway, if you will, uh, with uh, your, your comments and that. And I want to just give uh, very quickly, Allison, I know you've got to run, so I'm going to let you go first. But Allison, uh, if you want to just let the folks know if they want to reach out to you and, and communicate with you, what's the best way to do that? And then Jamie. For anyone who'd like to reach out, just head to my website, Allison Kurt Golf, and that's sort of the hub 
to connect me, uh, connect you all to social media and to stay in contact, give me a call or send me an email or book a, lo- a lesson if you're in the LA area. But definitely on all the major social media outlets, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and just look up Allison Kurt Golf and get some free swing tips and see all the, uh, the fun stuff that we're doing out here in LA at Wood Ranch Golf Club at Allison Kurt Golf. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Allison. And very quickly, Jamie, you as well. Yes, um, people can head to kiigolf.com, K-I-A-I-Golf.com, and also can reach me um, at Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at kiigolf.com. Uh, I'm actually quite responsive on the phone, <laughs> and that's to reach me at 760-492-GOLF. Four six five three. I'll leave a message, or um, you may actually get me answering the phone, but I'll certainly um, uh, respond. And um, you know, I do lessons and uh, clinics uh, all over. I travel quite a bit. I do a lot of corporate speaking. This fall, I'll be in the Seattle, Chicago, San Diego, uh, San Francisco Bay areas, um, and some different places. So um, you know, always possible to set something up as well as virtual lessons. Um, so I do a lot of online lessons as well. And uh, and I also have some DVDs, so always happen to happy to connect with with golfers wherever they may be. Perfect. Well, again, ladies, thank you very much uh, for always bringing your best here in the Coach's Corner panel, and I look forward to having you guys come back the next time. So, have a, a great uh, weekend, and uh, again, thank you very much for uh, joining me this, uh, this evening on the program. Thanks so much. Thank you, Ted. Thank you, Ted, for the opportunity right. and for all you do for for golf. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That was uh, Dr. Allison Kurt and Jamie Leno-Zimron, two great uh, professionals of the game, uh, helping me out here on tonight's Coach's Corner. And if you're just joining a little bit later on in the broadcast here or towards the end of this segment, uh, I made a quick note in the beginning, and I just want to remind everybody, uh, scheduled this evening was, of course, uh, was going to be my very special guest and, and good friend, Meredith Kirk. Uh, unfortunately, uh, she is out in the uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina area, and they are currently uh, under some um, really difficult situations with Hurricane Dorian. Of course, it's made its way up the eastern coast uh, after hitting the Bahamas and, and sort of skating past uh, the east coast of Florida. Uh, and uh, it just uh, not uh, a good opportunity. They've had power outages on and off uh, throughout most of the day, and uh, the worst of it is, uh, is sort of hitting them uh, during these hours uh, from late afternoon to uh, late evening. So uh, Meredith uh, certainly sends her apologies, and I will do my best to uh, get her on the show uh, as soon as I can. I'll check the schedule here and get her uh, scheduled as quickly as I can. But uh, again, my apologies as well as hers. Uh, Meredith, unfortunately, and for understandable reasons, is uh, not going to be able to make it on uh, on the call tonight for the show. So I do apologize. I know it was posted through social media, um, but uh, we made that decision here just uh, a short time ago before we went live, and it was just uh, uh, in the best interest, just with everything going on uh, with Hurricane Dorian, that uh, not to to take any chances. So uh, we want to wish her and her family and, and all the rest uh, in the Carolinas and and other areas that are currently being affected, that we uh, hope you're all safe and and our thoughts and prayers are with you. Uh, I'll be back next week uh, with another great guest and, of course, another great Coaches Corner panel. And uh, I, once again, thank you to GolfSwing.com for sp- sponsoring the Coaches Corner panel this evening. 
I appreciate uh, all of your uh, input and all of your support uh, of the program. So on that note, uh, again, I apologize that uh, Meredith will not be joining us uh, this evening here, um, but uh, I want to thank you for tuning into the Coach's Corner panel, and I'll be back with the full show next week uh, and another interesting guest in Coach's Corner. God bless everybody, and thank you. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts. Or listen on any of the following social media platforms. iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.